0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: This is CNN Breaking News.
0: And welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with breaking news today. A new blow to President Trump's wild and baseless claims at the election was rigged. That, of course, is a claim based on no credible facts or evidence. This afternoon, yet another Republican official, this one has been very loyal to President Trump, is risking Mr. Trump's wrath by making a factual assertion about the integrity of the 2020 election. In this case, Attorney General Bill Barr affirming this afternoon that the Justice Department has not found any evidence to support the Frankly, insane conspiracy theory that a computer program with ties to long dead Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez was used in some manner to change the election results. That there was no widespread fraud on a scale that would change the results of the November election, Barr asserted, which just underscores that President Trump lost fair and square because 80 million Americans voted to remove him from office. And president-elect Joe Biden will be the president of the United States come January 20th. The attorney general said today that both the Justice Department and the Department of Homeland Security looked into allegations of fraud and found no such evidence. Quote, there's been one assertion that would be systemic fraud, and that would be the claim that machines were programmed essentially to skew the election results. So far, we haven't seen anything to substantiate that. Unquote. Following in the footsteps of many Republican appointed judges and election officials and governors who have stood up. For facts and refuse to indulge this nonsense from mister Trump and the President's efforts to disenfranchise millions of legal American voters, though this will likely sting a little bit more given the fact that, that Barr has generally been a Trump loyalist on other matters, such as the Mueller investigation. The blowback against Attorney General Barr is already coming, with Trump campaign attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, who have been quite aggressively pushing these deranged conspiracy is, um, theories. They issued a statement rebuking the attorney general. The president's political career, in many ways, began with his embrace of a deranged conspiracy theory, that racist birther garbage about President Obama. His presidency is now ending... Basically the same way and yet another desperate embrace of unhinged lies. One so wild that even his most loyal Republicans in his administration are refusing to stand by them. CNN's Caitlin Collins joins us now live from the White House. And Caitlin, uh, Giuliani and Ellis released their own statement. What do they have to say?
2: Yeah, and Jake, that statement came just moments after the Associated Press published these remarks by Bill Barr. It's on Trump campaign letterhead from Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, and they're saying with all due respect to the Attorney General, they believe there has been, quote, no semblance of a Justice Department investigation. And they go on to criticize the Attorney General, saying they don't believe that he has looked Hard enough into these allegations that, of course, they've been putting in the public sphere but not putting into a courtroom. Even though Barr did say not only the Justice Department looked into it, he also said the Department of Homeland Security looked into it as well. But they ended their statement by saying that it was an opinion without knowledge of investigation by Bill Barr as he becomes the latest official to rebuke the president. Attorney General Bill Barr, the latest official to pierce President Donald Trump's claims of a rigged election telling the Associated Press today the Justice Department has not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. The president claimed in a telephone interview Sunday the DOJ wasn't doing its job to investigate his claims of widespread fraud.
3: Missing in action. Can't tell you where they are. Uh, I ask, are they looking at it? Everyone says yes, they're looking at it.
2: But Barr says his department and the Department of Homeland Security looked into claims from the president and his attorneys that voting machines were rigged, but, quote, we haven't seen anything to substantiate that. While Trump's efforts to overturn the results of the election have failed, he's spending his last days in the White House behind closed doors while apparently intent on taking down several members of the GOP with him. Angry that a recount in Georgia didn't change the outcome, Trump lashed out at the state's Republican governor today, saying Brian Kemp allowed his state to be scammed. Trump will be in Georgia this weekend ahead of the Senate runoff, but GOP officials may not be there to greet him.
0: I've got a full day on Saturday. I'm not even sure of the president's travel descriptions, but I wish him the best of luck down here.
2: Do you know if the governor will be there?
0: I'm not certain of the governor's travel schedule.
2: Then there's Arizona's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, who was also in Trump's crosshairs after he acknowledged the results of the election and announced he'll swear in his state's new Democratic senator, Mark Kelly. Trump asked why Ducey was rushing to put a Democrat in office, to which Ducey responded with nine different tweets explaining Arizona election law. Meanwhile, Joe DiGenova, a member of Trump's legal team, is now insisting he was being sarcastic when he called for violence against Chris Krebs, the election security official Trump fired.
3: That guy is a class A moron. He should be drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn and shot.
2: Now, Jake, it wasn't long after the Associated Press had published those remarkable comments by Bill Barr that he showed up at the White House today, which is notable, not because, of course, he's the attorney general and he typically is there, but he has not been there lately and he's been keeping this low profile. But we saw him going into the West Wing earlier today, just moments after this. We asked the White House why he was there, because there was no meeting between President Trump and Bill Barr on his public schedule. But we are told he had a meeting with the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, that was planned in advance of those comments about no widespread fraud in the election. Jake.
0: All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House. Thank you. So much appreciated. Attorney General uh, William Barr today has also appointed U.S. Attorney John Durham to act as a special counsel. Durham will be investigating whether intelligence and law enforcement officials violated any laws as they investigated the Russia investigation in 2016. CNN's Evan Perez joins us live. Evan, uh, what are you learning
4: well, Jake, uh, John Durham is now a special counsel, essentially the same thing that Robert Mueller was uh, during the, the President Trump's uh, presidency. And so what this means is that uh, come January and Joe Biden takes office, John Durham will continue doing, the, doing his investigation. As you said, he is a U.S. attorney. So, uh, Traditionally, what happens is uh, all U.S. attorneys leave their positions and Joe Biden is able to pick a U.S. attorney in Connecticut, which is where John Durham is based. Uh, What this means is that the Durham investigation, which began earlier this year, uh, is going to continue probably for another year, well into the Biden presidency, looking into whether or not uh, there were any laws broken in the beginnings of the early parts of of the Trump-Russia investigation back in 2016, Jake.
0: Can President-elect Biden fire a special counsel uh, when he becomes president?
4: He can't, uh, but of course, uh, this is uh, why this is a bit of a political grenade that Bill Barr has left behind, for the incoming president. Uh, We don't expect that unlike unlike Donald Trump, who who regularly threatened to fire Robert Mueller, uh, we don't expect that Biden is gonna do the same thing. Uh, Obviously having run uh, on this whole idea of restoring normalcy to not only the Justice Department, but to Washington as a whole. So we expect that uh, Durham will be uh, able to continue his work. Uh, Jake, I should mention that uh, Barr appointed uh, Durham in October Uh, And only now are we learning about this, in part because the Justice Department said they didn't want to affect the outcome of the November election.
0: All right, Evan Perez, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's discuss all this with our panel. Uh, Let's start uh, with Barr telling the Associated Press that there's no evidence that he has been able to find or anybody at DOJ of widespread fraud that would overturn uh, the election. Uh, Laura Coates, uh, that's a pretty stunning debunking from somebody who has been a, a Trump loyalist, I think it's fair to say.
5: I think that's more than fair to say, and it is pretty stunning that one, it took him this long to have the obvious that the sky is blue be actually conveyed to the American people, but also that he chose to wholeheartedly say that he has not found not only idea of fraud, but widespread fraud was not present to even overturn the election results. This is a really strong rebuke from somebody who's a political appointee, who you remember is somebody who just last year went ahead of the Mueller report, and actually maybe even more than a year ago at this point, went ahead with the Mueller report and tried to, Create a narrative in anticipation of trying to undermine the presidency, and his hope was that people would regard him with a great deal of credibility. And now that credibility seems to be harming the president's own narrative crafted now.
0: And Laura uh, Baron Lopez, uh, uh, the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who, who we should note uh, has been saying all sorts of all sorts of crazy things with no evidence, wild allegations uh, not introducing any of them in a court of law because it would be perjury, uh, or it would violate the court in, in, some way. He released a statement today saying, quote, with all due respect to the attorney general, there hasn't been any semblance of a department of justice investigation. We have gathered ample evidence of illegal voting in at least six states, which they have not, uh, examined. And Laura Baron there is no evidence of wild, widespread, uh, fraud. I mean, this is just, again, you're allowed to lie in a press release.
6: All right. Every time that Giuliani and other members of uh, the president's campaign team that are still going around the country with Giuliani are still uh, repeating the fraud claims that have no evidence. They aren't providing any specific specificity. Uh, They're just making wild accusations. And that's why so many of their lawsuits have failed and judges have thrown them out and said that uh, there's no merit uh, to this. There's there's no evidence there. There's no there there. And so Giuliani is continuing to stay by Trump's side. Uh, and it may very well be uh, because of the fact that now there's talk that, that he could be looking to get preemptively pardoned by the president.
0: And Ron, do you think Attorney General Barr is now going to get the same kind of reception from Trump supporters that we've seen uh, other Republican officials like Chris Krebs or the governor of Arizona or the governor of Georgia that they're now uh, getting um, these are people who are just simply standing up for the rule of law and for facts. uh, And now, you know, in in many cases, they're getting death threats.
7: Yeah, the short answer, I think, is yes. I mean, you know, despite everything that Barr has done, as Laura mentioned, I mean, to try to tilt the deck toward Trump on the intervention of the Flynn case and the Stone case, and his characterization of the Mueller case, I think that's exactly what will happen. And the fact that even Bill Barr, with that record, is able to come out and finally acknowledge the obvious, I think makes it even more egregious that we are not hearing from almost any of the Republicans in Congress, particularly the Republican congressional leadership of Mitch McConnell uh, and and Kevin McCarthy. I mean, they are allowing this poison to kind of spread through the political system that has produced death threats against the secretaries of state in Arizona uh, and Georgia and the kind of language you heard from Joe DiGenova and the poll showing 75 to 80 percent of Republicans think the election is stolen. I mean, if even Bill Barr can say this, How does Mitch McConnell justify refusing to acknowledge the obvious, given the mounting evidence of the costs of his failure to do so? Uh, Laura Coates, do
0: you think that President Trump will fire Attorney General Barr?
5: Well, if, you know, the idea, I'm sure he will ridicule him. I'm sure he will summon him in some capacity to help to understand why he's not towing the party line. But essentially, by that statement by Bill Barr if you fire him or if you let the clock run out, he will no longer be the attorney general come January 21st. And so the idea here that he is trying to solidify, even in his absence perhaps, either through firing or through the running out the clock, is probably why he's trying to install somebody who will continue the legacy of providing a cloud of innuendo about additional baseless claims. This time being what John Durham would be actually looking at to figure out whether there was a politicization of the Department of Justice or an investigation with an eye towards trying to prevent Donald Trump's initial election back in 2016. So I think he is preparing not only for the ridicule, but also preparing for the ability to have somebody in place who can continue. And although there's no evidence to support that either, as the IG report indicated last year, that clouded suspicion served President Trump well when Comey did it. So I think he's hoping to have it continue into the new days of the Biden-Harris administration.
0: And Laura, Lopez, uh, just to touch base uh, or to circle back with what Ron just re- referred to, one of the president's campaign attorneys, Joe DiGenova, he publicly called for Chris Krebs, a well respected now former uh, t- top cyber security official, to be, quote, drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn and shot. Uh, now, DeGeneva has since said that he was being sarcastic. It, it's not particularly Ooh. funny or sarcastic to me when you listen to it. Even White House Communications Director Alyssa Farah told me, quote, that statement was wildly inappropriate. I mean, I, I just don't even understand what, what world we're now in where people are now joking about killing people in an environment where officials and journalists and all sorts of people get death threats from the president's supporters all the time.
6: Yeah, Jake, I mean, it's certainly a a troubling, um, a troubling statement. I mean, it's scary. And so one thing is that again, uh, There is a pattern with Trump and and those around him where there is a lack of strong condemnation when things like this occur or when the president himself in the past has even been willing to incite violence um, against his opponents or against protesters. And and so uh, I don't expect a strong condemnation from the president uh, against uh, his attorney. But it certainly is warranted
0: in this case. All right. Thanks to one and all. I Appreciate your time. In just two days, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will have their first joint interview with me. You can see a portion Thursday at four o'clock here on The Lead. Then you can watch the full interview Thursday evening in a CNN special event at 9 p.m. Eastern, only on CNN, their first joint interview. Coming up, Joe Biden just announced his new economic team, his plan to get America had, uh, working again and the challenges he's already chief, facing uh, from uh, the Republican opposition in Congress. Uh, Plus, was, in just a few minutes, top health officials will vote on who should get the vaccine first as airlines line up to deliver billions of doses. And we're back with the 2020 lead today. President-elect Joe Biden this afternoon introduced his economic team and he promised to strike a new deal on economic relief, and try to build up the middle class.
8: We can build a new American economy that works for all Americans, not just some, all. We need to act now, though, and we need to work together.
0: That was a sentiment echoed by all of Biden's selections, underscoring the need for the recovery to be equitable. Biden's pick for Treasury Secretary, former chairwoman of the Federal Reserve Janet Yellen, called it an American tragedy that so many Americans are without jobs and going hungry. She said it's essential to move with urgency to to jumpstart the economy, as CNN's Jeff Zeleny now reports.
8: Our message to everybody struggling right now is this. Help is on the way.
3: With a pandemic deepening and economic pain intensifying, President-elect Joe Biden presented his economic team today as a new lifeline for struggling Americans.
8: We can build a new American economy that works for all Americans, not just some, all.
3: Biden formally introduced Janet Yellen to be the first woman to serve as Treasury Secretary.
8: No one is better prepared to deal with these (laughs) crises.
3: A former chair of the Federal Reserve, who also led the Council of Economic Advisers in the Clinton administration, Yellen pledged to help rescue families from a one-two punch of coronavirus and unemployment.
2: Out of our collective pain as a nation, we will find collective purpose to control the pandemic and build our economy back better than before.
3: Yellen offered a stark policy contrast from the Trump era, saying addressing the nation's widening income inequality is an urgent priority.
2: It's a convergence of tragedies that is not only economically unsustainable, but one that betrays our commitment to giving every American an equal chance to get ahead.
3: Joining Yellen is Wally Adeyemo as the deputy treasury secretary, along with Neera Tandon at Office of Management and Budget and Cecilia Rouse leading the Council of Economic Advisers. They face Senate confirmation which means at least some Republicans must sign off on the nominees. Tandon already drawing fierce opposition.
1: She's just been a, most of her
3: professional life, a hard-edged partisan. For now at least, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell will play a key role on who makes it into Biden's cabinet. And today, one month after the election, Biden said this when asked whether he's spoken to McConnell. Not yet. So President-elect Biden, again, not speaking to Mitch McConnell one month after Election Day. But, Jake, we did sense something here today in Wilmington we've not seen in Washington really at all. That is a sense of urgency for some type of economic relief bill. Now, the president-elect said he urged Congress to do something in this lame duck session, but he said it would just be a start. This is clearly front and center in his plan for, for his first 100 days in office, which started in January.
0: All right, Jeff Zeleny in Wilmington, Delaware. Thanks so much. The message, Attorney General Bill Barr may be sending Republicans by reportedly saying there was no evidence of widespread election fraud. That's next. We have more on today's breaking news. Attorney General Bill Barr admitting that there was no widespread fraud in the presidential electin- election that would have changed the results. MSNBC's Joe Scarborough joins us now live. He's out with a new book about Harry Truman called Saving Freedom, Truman, the Cold War and the Fight for Western Civilization. Joe, good to see you again. Congrats on the book. Uh, let me just ask you about Barr, though, because that's the breaking news this afternoon. He's been a Trump loyalist since he was brought in. What, what do you make of his comments today?
8: Well, everybody, you know, Jake, it's a thing that you know about Washington. Uh, There are people who've been around who understand that administrations come and administrations go. And uh, Bill Barr, just like Mitch McConnell, understand that. And and have understood this for several weeks, that come January 20th, 2021, there's going to be a new president. And so that's William Barr today uh, certainly sent that message. It sent the same message, actually that Republicans on the local level have been sending over the past couple of weeks. Yes, uh, they don't mind engaging in in propaganda for the president from time to time, but they're not going to break the law for him. Uh, They're not going to undermine constitutional norms uh, during during this transition period. I I think also just as significant as Mitch McConnell uh, coming out uh, and talking about the next administration, the new administration coming in. Uh, when he was talking about the stimulus relief packages. So uh, I, I, I think uh, it's just uh, one more step forward uh, for a Republican Party that actually should have acknowledged this weeks ago.
0: Although, on the other hand, President-elect Biden said today that he still hasn't spoken uh, with Mitch McConnell. Um, what is Biden yeah. facing, do you think, uh, if Republicans still hold the Senate next year, especially when so many Republican senators are, are still refraining from calling him the president-elect and just acknowledging the reality that, that is obvious to anybody paying attention.
8: Well, you know, Joe Biden is facing exactly what the American people wanted him to face. Uh, they wanted divided government. You look at those House races, Republicans did extraordinarily well winning 24 of the 24 toss-up races uh, and not losing a single incumbent. Uh, in the Senate, uh, they fared much better than the polls said they were going to fare. Susan Collins winning by nine points in a state that Joe Biden won by nine points in. So it's obvious that Americans want divided government. If you look at the eight, nine senators right now from both parties that are trying to work together to push through a coronavirus package, I, I, I am always too optimistic when it comes to to all things Washington, uh, but I really think we have the possibility of some Republicans and Democrats working together. And I you know, I see an expanding middle. And that's something that Joe Biden, more than any other president, uh, my gosh, since what, LBJ, understands how the Senate works.
0: Yeah. Let's turn to your book. Uh, there are some pretty clear parallels uh, between President Truman and President-elect Biden, both coming in as presidents during extraordinarily difficult times uh, for our country. Um, What stands out to you the most when you look at both men?
8: Well, I I think both men were underestimated their entire life. Of course, a lot of us have seen the Reagan documentary on Showtime where (laughs) poor young Jeff Greenfield recommends that one day Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee and he is laughed off the set practically by Walter Cronkite. Uh, Biden, of course, uh, was the butt of a lot of jokes in, in the 88 campaign and the way it ended in 1987, uh, same thing with the 2008 campaign at the beginning of the 2020 campaign, Joe Biden has always been underestimated. Same thing happened with Harry Truman, who, when he got to Washington in 1934, uh, was dismissed as a rube by the New York times, uh, in 1940 FDR wouldn't even endorse him despite the fact he was one of the strongest champions of the new deal. When he was picked in 44 as vice president, uh, you know, his own uh, FDR's own chief of staff uh, mocked him and said, who the hell is Harry Truman? And and yet he, he kept uh, surprising his critics time and time again. He left with a 22 percent approval rating. But as I talk about in the book, Winston Churchill said that no man did more to save Western civilization than did Harry Truman. And uh, the guy, again, because he understood how Washington worked, because he understood the Senate, because he could strike bipartisan compromise, uh, he had a bigger impact on the world stage than any president in 75 years.
0: Well, it's a great book. It's, uh, it's called Saving Freedom, Truman, the Cold War, and the Fight for Western Civilization. Joe Scarborough, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, happy holidays to you and Mika, uh, and best of luck with the book.
8: Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's my pleasure. Breaking
0: news on the race for a COVID vaccine and the vote this hour that could determine who's going to get the vaccine first. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. In our health today, after a record-breaking November in terms of coronavirus, all signs are sadly pointing to an even darker December. 158,000 new coronavirus cases were reported just yesterday. Hospitalizations have doubled since November 1st. They've tripled since October 1st. And as CNN's Erica Hill reports for us now, health care workers are, are sounding the alarm that they might not be able to handle this growing surge for much longer.
9: Key vaccine decisions being made at this very moment by a CDC advisory committee.
0: You want to end this pandemic, get back to normalcy. You have to use the vaccine strategically.
9: That strategy is expected to prioritize frontline healthcare workers.
10: And this will be data-driven. This will be scientifically based.
9: Two companies have requested emergency use authorization for their vaccines. An outside advisory FDA panel meets to discuss Pfizer's application on December 10th. Moderna's is scheduled for consideration December 17th. Once okayed, states will distribute the vaccine. Their plants are due Friday.
10: There may be certain groups that they tailor specifically. Poultry in Arkansas or some of the meatpacking plants in in the Midwest or in the panhandle. It's going to be this balance between one uh, trying to save as many lives as possible, but also stabilizing the health system.
9: A health system that is increasingly strained. (laughs) Nationwide, COVID hospitalizations doubled in November. We can only handle so
6: much of a surge the system is only made with so much capacity.
9: All but three states reporting an increase in new cases last month. This is the worst spot we've been in since March. Daily average cases surged from 82,000 to 160,000 in November, an increase of more than 95 percent. Average daily reported deaths rose more than 78 percent.
6: Sometimes I'm grieving for my husband and then I realize my mom's
10: gone, you know, that I'm grieving for my
8: mom. All things considered, we're
9: not in a good place. Florida just became the third state to log more than a million cases since the pandemic began. California warning a new stay-at-home order may be on the horizon. Meantime, the economic toll is growing.
4: What's the bigger risk, me going to work or us losing our house or like what?
9: Millions of Americans struggling as Amazon reports record sales, a reminder of the sharp divide between Wall Street's games and Main Street's reality. Uh, Jake, an open letter today from three of the premier medical organizations here in the United States, the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association, and the American Nurses Association, urging Americans to remain vigilant while they wait for a vaccine. Keep wearing masks, social distance, wash your hands. And we also learned today from the American Academy of Pediatrics The cases in children were up 29 percent in the two weeks leading into Thanksgiving. In fact, in just that week leading into Thanksgiving, they say 154,000 new cases confirmed in children. All
0: right, Erica Hill, thank you so much for that report. CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, joins us now. Um, Sanjay, hospitalizations have doubled since November 1st, tripled since October 1st. Now the COVID tracking project is warning that we're going to see 100,000 Americans hospitalized in the next couple days. What's the worst-case scenario based off these statistics? Where are we going?
11: Well, Jake, I mean, it's it's, it's pretty bad right now. I mean, this would have been the worst-case scenario if we talked about this a month ago. I mean, Rhode Island's got field hospitals now. Convention centers turned into field hospitals as well in addition to tents. Wisconsin has had their highest death rate recently. California, they may reinstate some of these stay-at-home orders because their ICUs are already becoming overwhelmed, expected to become overwhelmed completely by Christmas Eve. I mean, it's bad, Jake. I mean, that, that's the thing. We've been talking about this for so long. It feels like the boiling frog. But if people out there who, who have preventable illness, people out there who could go to a hospital and get better and they can't find beds anymore, that is the worst case scenario. And we're, we're very close to it.
0: Do you think that states that are now imposing restrictions are going back to um, more restrictions? Will that be effective in slowing the spread or, or is it too late or are we too far gone?
11: No, I, I don't think... I think the metaphor is to think about it like a fast-moving ship through the ocean. The faster it's, it's going, you know, the more inertia that it has. It's going to take longer to slow down. Uh, it's not that you can't stop that ship, ultimately. It's just going to take longer because we've allowed this problem to just magnify and magnify and grow, and that's that ship. So... Put in those 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 um, measures, and it will slow things down and eventually bring it to a stop. Masks a big one, Jake. Right? I think we're an impatient society. We expect the, the fix to happen just like this. But if you look, for example, in Kansas, uh, you know counties that they actually put in mask mandates. About a quarter of the state, a uh, quarter of the counties put a mask mandate in, uh, and the rest did not. Uh, the ones that did, they brought down viral transmission six percent. The other ones went up hundred percent. Six percent may not sound like a lot, but to bring something down right now, given the growth that we have right now, is, is, is very significant.
0: So there's this new study saying, or suggesting rather, that the coronavirus may have been circulating in the U.S. as early as December of last year. Um, tell us more about that and what does this mean?
11: Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a really good study. Uh, it was very interesting. They looked at blood samples from people back in mid-December and they found antibodies that were specific to this coronavirus. It's as simple as that. It wasn't like antibodies to other coronaviruses, it was this which meant the people whose blood had been sampled had been exposed to the coronavirus. So that, that made uh, you know a lot of sense. It also means that there was probably evidence of community spread much earlier in China than we knew. Nick Payton Walsh had a great report about this. It was happening there, and they knew about it. And people were getting on planes and going here and going all over the world very quickly. It reminds us an outbreak anywhere is an outbreak everywhere. It's very hard to control.
0: New York City is seeing a spike in cases. Um, On Sunday, they decided to reopen some schools there. Um, Plenty of medical authorities like Dr. Fauci and others have said the very last thing that should be shut down are the schools, uh, the bars, restaurants uh, should be shut down before that. Is there any reason um, with what we know that elementary school age children should not be in school?
11: I, I really don't think so at this point. I mean, and you know, I, I, was, I was skeptical about it myself, Jake, um, because, you know, kids are little, they're little virus factories typically, right? I mean, my kid would come home with some sort of respiratory illness, and all of us would get it in the house. I mean, right. it's just they're very contagious. And coronavirus is a very contagious virus. Why is it that little kids who are typically viral spreaders, and this is a very contagious virus, aren't spreading? I don't know. It's probably one of a couple reasons one is that maybe in the schools, they are being very diligent. I mean, you know, as, as contagious as they are, the kids demonstrate how easily it can be contained still. They wear a mask, they wash hands, it makes a huge difference. Or it could be that little kids, just for whatever reason with this virus, just don't, aren't as likely to be transmitters. We don't know, but the answer to your question is, I think, why would you close down schools and keep bars open? It makes no sense at this point scientifically.
0: Dr. Fauci predicts that we're going to see the surge from Thanksgiving travel hitting right before uh, Christmas should people plan to stay home and apart for upcoming Christmas season?
11: Yeah, I, I hate to be the one to, to say that, but, but yes, Jake. And, you know, I mean, look, we look at the data and, you know, I don't, I don't relish having to give this sort of information. But look at Canada, for example. Canada is a good example. Their Thanksgiving is uh, middle of October. And you can see what was going on there. Uh, the day before Canadian Thanksgiving, there were about 1,800, 1,900 new cases. On Thanksgiving, 2,200 cases or so. Uh, A few weeks later, just about doubled, okay, and it's still going up. So there's an example. Obviously, there are differences between Canada and the United States. Big holiday in in the country to the north. That's a little bit of a glimpse of what we're likely to see after our Thanksgiving. And then, obviously, maybe after Christmas if the same thing happens.
0: Obviously, the news of a vaccine is promising, um, but we need to remind people it's not out there yet. Uh, and first, it's going to first responders and people in nursing homes before it gets to the the general public. The pandemic is right now the worst it has ever been in the United States. And even though we're all experiencing COVID fatigue and we're all, you know, just beat down by this psychologically, we need to to stay strong. People need to remember now is not the time to to throw caution to the wind.
11: Yeah, I mean, you know, you got hope, if you got hope on the horizon you're going to go into one of two mindsets. Uh, one is that, hey, let's just, uh, you know, we can, we can uh, proceed with, with abandon at this point because hope's on the horizon. Or you can say, hey, in the next few months, if I just sort of double down, put my head down, do this, I'll be part of a movement that could save hundreds of thousands of lives. You look at these models, Jake, and again, I'm not a hyperbolic person, but the conservative IHME model says there'll be some 470,000 people who would die by March 1st, okay? Okay. Now, that also, uh, that also assumes that 40 states would reimpose some sort of stay-at-home order. You think that's going to happen? If those states don't do it, we're closer to 650,000 by March 1st. We, we, we definitely can make a difference, and we have to because the vaccines are coming, but they won't be here in time for that.
0: Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much. Appreciate it. A vote is expected any minute that will determine who gets the COVID vaccine first. We're going to have that for you when the news comes in. Also, a first look at a key part of the distribution process already ramping up. We'll show that to you next. Stay with us. And breaking news in our health lead today. Any minute, a CDC advisory committee is expected to vote on who should get the coronavirus vaccine First, let's bring in Dr. Peter Hotez, the co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital. Uh, Dr. Hotez, after the first batch of people getting the vaccine, we presume that that will be health care providers, people on the front lines, doctors, nurses, hospital staff. What happens next?
10: Well, I think it's going to be really important to do two things. We're, we want to stabilize the healthcare system and that's a key reason to vaccinate all the healthcare providers as, as quickly as possible. And then those are at highest risk and I think nursing home residents are going to be a high priority. So we're looking at roughly 21,000 health, 21 million healthcare workers, three million uh, residents of nursing homes and assisted living facilities, and that'll pretty much use up uh, the doses for the rest of the year because there's going to be about 40 million doses divided in half because you have to give each dose. Uh, three, four weeks apart. So those are the kinds of numbers we're looking at, at least in the very beginning.
0: I believe I heard the statistic that 40 percent of the fatalities have been people uh, who are in retirement uh, communities, uh, nursing homes. The head of the CDC committee that's voting now on vaccine distribution says that the final decision about who specifically gets a vaccine will be made by states since there will not be enough to go around in the first batch. In your experience, is that is that standard?
10: Yeah, I mean, so much, um, not many people realize this, but so much vaccine policy in this country is actually set at the state level. So the individual legislatures make a lot of the vaccine policy in terms of school requirements. This is why, you know, I've been going up against the anti-vaccine lobby for years, and it's tough because you have to do it times 50 because each, each state is quite different. So it doesn't surprise me that we'll, the states will do the same thing. Hopefully, they'll listen to the ACIP guidelines. Also, the National Academies have issued some guidelines as well, but we can expect that each state will fine-tune those guidelines to some of the unique needs of the state in terms of uh, uh, certain populations at risk. Also, you know, uh, New Mexico or Texas, which has a very high Hispanic uh, population, we've seen about 35% of the deaths under the age of 65, uh, in, in those groups. And so that means, you know, this idea of a 65-year-old age cutoff will not really work in our part of the country. So there's going to be a lot of fine-tuning like that.
0: Now, the Pfizer vaccine, there are a couple of vaccines. is a Pfizer and Moderna, and then there are others that are in the in the works. The Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored at negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit, negative 94. There we, We're showing right now a hospital in Delaware installing freezers uh, to hold the vaccines. Do places like Rite Aid and CVS do they have the capacity to handle these vaccines to store it at negative 94?
10: Well, the Moderna one, which will, which will follow, uh, can be at a typical freezer temperature, so that's good. The Pfizer one, you're right, a much more uh, dramatic freezing required. However, it can be stable at the refrigeration and refrigerator temperatures for a couple of days. So one possibility, depending on how they're going to arrange it with the contractors, is to keep it stored in a special facility and then send it to the various pharmacies uh, at, and keep it refrigerator for a couple of days. My understanding is some of the CVS and, and big chain pharmacies will in any particular city may have one or two that really keeps that deep freezer Capacity, but again, it's going to vary a lot uh, locally. And and uh, you know, one of the things that I would that I'm hoping is we try to keep it as straightforward and simple as possible. We've seen how awful the testing went. We our health system just doesn't handle complicated things very well. So I think the simpler the guidelines we we, we, we have, the better off we're going to be. So Walgreen
0: Walgreen says that they're pre- preparing to administer vaccines to about one million long term care facility res- residents. Uh, CVS is also preparing about. 900,000 to deliver to nursing home residents. It's great news. But when people hear that these major pharmacies are preparing to distribute vaccines, we should note this doesn't mean you can just walk into your local Walgreens or CVS to, to get them.
10: Well, that's right. It's not going to be uh, like the way adults typically get their vaccines. Eventually, it, it will be like that because remember, the, these are the first two vaccines, Pfizer, well, Pfizer first and then Moderna. And then we're going to have the two adenovirus vaccines, AstraZeneca, Oxford, and then uh, the, the, the um, J&J adenovirus vaccine. That re- just requires refrigeration. And then maybe the Novavax vaccine. Who knows? Maybe our vaccine a little later on that we're scaling up in India. And so with time it's going to be a lot more straight It's but it'll be much more straightforward and you can get it at your pharmacy supermarket mar- supermarket pharmacy and your CVS and, and it'll get a lot easier. In the beginning there'll be greater logistical challenges.
0: And these vaccines, uh, at least these first two, need to be taken in Uh, multiple doses. I think you need two shots of the Pfizer uh, vaccine. Is that going to be difficult to facilitate?
10: I hope not. I mean, there are a lot of adult vaccines we give in two doses. Shingrix, for instance, we often give in two doses. Uh, uh, that That's not uncommon. Uh, and I think the AstraZeneca Oxford will be two doses. Maybe the J&J will be one dose. So the, the <coughs> tricky part is you're going to have to have situational awareness. In other words, you get your vaccine. Remember, you have to get the second dose either three or four weeks apart, depending on the vaccine. In Texas, what they're going to do is send note cards to people. But it's going to require personal responsibility because one of things we know, Jake, is that from the phase one studies, you do not get very much in the way of virus neutralizing antibody after one dose. That's how these vaccines work and and protect you. So you're going to need that second dose.
0: All right, Dr. Peter Hotes, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And should a COVID vaccine be authorized by the FDA, distribution could begin Within 24 hours. And the same airline struggling to fill passenger flights right now will now be a major part of the operation and the solution. CNN's Pete Monteen got a first look at the equipment that United Airlines is putting in place at Dulles International in Northern Virginia. Pete?
1: Jake, this is really something we have not seen before. And it is a critical part of getting the vaccine from where it's being made. where it needs to be administered. This is essentially one big refrigerator that United Airlines will use to keep the vaccine cold. That is crucial when it comes to transporting it and airlines and air cargo carriers may be involved with transporting the vaccine the longest distances. It is only 39 degrees Fahrenheit in here right now. The Moderna vaccine might need to be kept at negative four degrees Fahrenheit. The Pfizer vaccine maybe as low as negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit and require a special freezer. Airlines and air cargo carriers already use these refrigerated containers to keep things like vaccines cold. Actual vaccine, not in here right now, although airlines have already been getting their infrastructure ready to make sure things are in place for when the vaccine gets rolled out. United Airlines is actually already flying some vaccines for Pfizer. American Airlines is doing vaccine test flights between Miami and South America. UPS, DHL, FedEx, all involved in this. Even the FAA is giving airlines a special waiver to carry extra dry ice on board to keep the vaccine super cold like it needs to be. You know, airlines have been struggling big time in the pandemic. Air travel is still down about 60%. They cannot wait for a vaccine to be rolled out. Now they may be key to getting
0: it to you, All right, Pete Monteen, thank you so much. Finally today, we'd like to remember just one of the more than 269,000 lives that we have lost to the coronavirus in the United States. I'd
4: like to dedicate this song to all the warriors for justice.
0: Noe Montoya, he played his guitar to send a message. He sang about social justice. He was a fierce advocate for the United Farm Workers. He marked with Cesar Chavez. He lived in Hollister, California, and he was the soul of his local theater company. They called him the maestro. Montoya tested positive for coronavirus just a few days ago on November 19th. He died on Thanksgiving Day. May his memory be a blessing. A reminder, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will join me Thursday for their first joint interview since their election win. And you can see a portion of that Thursday here on The Lead. Then join me for a one-hour special Thursday night at 9 o'clock Eastern only on CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now.
1: Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.